Welcome to the Rabbit's Foot series. I'm Ben, and I am a massive fan of the Mission Impossible franchise. My co-host Matt, on the other hand, has never seen any of the movies. This is a six-part series where I introduce him to the world of Mission Impossible, one film at a time. This intro will self-destruct in five seconds. So welcome. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Bottom of the Bin uh, Rabbit's Foot series. This is part four, where we are talking about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, directed by Brad Bird, released in 2011. My co-host is Matt Butler. Hello, everybody. Hi, Matt. I already said hello. (laughs) (laughs) You can edit. You can edit around it. Sometimes you know I'll 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 tell a joke and then you'll laugh at a moment where it just it doesn't feel as natural so I just move the laugh to a different well, spot. Well that's the delay is what it is cuz I always find that's the delay, I sync yeah. it up and then so I'll sync like I'll find where you're saying something and then I'll say something like right after that. So I'll just kind of line that up and then just there's still a delay throughout. So Or I'll find like I liked how I said the joke this way, but that wasn't the one you laughed at. <laughs> so I'll just move your laugh over to that one. Yep. <laughs> Little magic editing tricks that I'm uh, exposing for our audience. Unless you decide to cut this from the track. <laughs> I don't know. Your call. Yeah. So what I guess we'll just get right into it. What were your thoughts on Ghost Protocol in general? Well, you kept on uh, praising this movie yeah. as, uh, well, you say it's like your favorite, right? It's, yeah, definitely my favorite of, yeah, of the six so far. Um, and of the four that I've seen so far, I think it's, I would agree. Um, it definitely has the best execution. Um, and... I think this is using the Mission Impossible brand to its to its best, at least uh, from what I've seen so far. Um, and I remember you were so, and I was talking about in three that I liked the addition of the wife and the more emotional uh, through line of Mission Impossible. Uh, and you were saying like. Uh, that that's not as important in the in these yeah and and i think in this one i i was getting a good sense of that that it really like the but it's not him who has the emotional investment in the mission i mean he kind of does but if there is an emotional it's jane because it's the assassin that killed uh, Hannaway, who she it implies she was in love with, Agent Hannaway. Yep, as well and as then, uh, Jeremy Renner's character for his uh, um, his connection to Tom Cruise's yes. wife or, or ex-wife. Um, and and so I I found with this one that it was balanced at at the right level where you're not. It's not too distracting from the good old Mission Possible spy action and uh, cool set pieces, where I think it's I think with the last three, um, the issue might have been that Tom Cruise being full of himself kind of takes center stage throughout everything. Yes, and with this, 
there's a real good sense of a team building. I know you've, you've, yes, you've exactly. definitely mentioned that before. And and with this, I I liked that even though, like, there were parts where I wasn't following the plot. Or, oh, yeah. And, and I Still, I've seen this movie so many times, and I still have moments where I'm like, wait, what? What is Why happening? Why does that yeah. connect with that? And then I'm like, oh, right, it doesn't matter. Because yeah. in the interview that Brad Bird did, he did, like, a three-hour interview on Light the Fuse. They ask him about this one point that's always confused me, too. It's when um, Wistrom, or not, yeah, it's uh, the one guy, like, the henchman takes off the mask in the sandstorm, and you're like, wait, why was he gets it pulled Wistrom off. disguised as the other guy? Yeah. yeah. Like, why is he wearing a mask? How does he have the IMF masks? Mm-hmm. Brad Bird couldn't even give an explanation <laughs> for that. And the thing is, is that this movie was so much being rewritten, like, mm-hmm. as they were shooting. Like, yep. they started with, like, a 13-page script and um, just kind of rewrote things like as they were shooting. Christopher McQuarrie came in and he kind of wrote the whole Jeremy Renner backstory like mid-shoot. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that, that's that's Chris McQuarrie there. <laughs> um, and there is that whole thing of uh, Brad Bird hunting down J.J. Abrams at a party. <laughs> it's like, hey, where's yeah. the script? Uh, look over there. Where'd it go? <laughs> um, so with... That doesn't matter. The characters are what I think really holds this together. Um, and yeah, real disparity with the second one. It's like there were hard, like the most likable character is uh, Ving Rames, and he's hardly in the movie. Um, uh, and with this one, everybody's likable. And you, you understand their likes and dislikes enough that you can see a little bit of yourself in. I guess everybody on the team. Yeah, and I like that. Um, I guess if we could just kind of talk specific characters. Uh, Simon Pegg was kind of just had a cameo in number three, and then they decide to make him just part of the team in this one. And I like that he's like a new field agent, and he's still the tech guy, though. Um, although they do give him a moment where, um, spoiler alert in general, um, where he <laughs> kills one of the bad guys at the end. And that was, um, that was a thing that he, when Christopher McQuarrie came on for like a few days to like re overhaul the movie was that Simon Pegg was like, I don't just want to be the guy on the computer. So they wrote in that moment for him to, which, which makes sense. Like, because an arc you would write for that character, a techie, would be that they step out of uh, out of the chair and and get into the action, and and he works well as like a bit of a surrogate for the the more um, squeamish members of the audience. They're just yeah. like, wow, this is these are all really intimidating stunts. I don't know if I can do this. Um, so I think that that serves its purpose well, and it's Simon Pegg. You you can't complain with Simon Pegg. Um, yeah, and. Uh, I was thinking about this in relation to Indiana Jones, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll okay. explain. Um, so Indiana Jones uh, is all about the spectacle and the adventure. Um, if you really want to do a character study on Indiana Jones, the character, uh, you won't find very much. It's he's very straightforward, simple. They try to expand on him more in came of the crystal skull and that does not work um see movie as example um yeah and i think this movie taps into that balance as i mentioned earlier really well um in 
giving him just enough of of an like emotional stake in the story but there is also just enough going on like I, with this movie it was like everybody's just trying to tie all the loose ends and and that was uh, more exciting than than say a film where everybody is at the top of their game you know everybody's cool and suave like mm-hmm. like everybody but- has has those like emotional weaknesses like even Jeremy Renner um uh he has that um he's his whole thing is that he failed that mission uh to protect Tom Cruise's wife yeah um and so uh that makes when you you put him in that scene where he's he's doing the um I don't know what you call it, but it's that trademark Mission Impossible thing where someone dangles on a wire uh, and and lands really close to the floor. Oh, yeah, Except yeah. Except this time um, there's no wire. It's all magnets, which was a cool little, little Brad Bird twist on that. Yeah, and just to like... The fact that Tom Cruise doesn't do that moment shows that like this is the time where they realize, oh, this movie is about... Like, I know narratively it wouldn't make sense because Tom Cruise is off doing something else, although he's really doing nothing <laughs> in that whole party sequence. I mean, he's giving the commands. Yes. But, um, and I love Jeremy Renner's line, next time I get to seduce the rich guy. <laughs> um, but, so Jane's doing that, and he's in the oven or in the computer, and Simon Pegg is, like, doing the tech, and then Tom Cruise is just kind of calling the shots. But, like... Everyone else are the ones in that sequence kind of getting their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's they really this movie really makes them work for uh, like like you see like this. They get hurt. Yeah. Accomplishing this mission like it was not an easy. I mean, obviously, it's Mission Impossible. It's never easy, but they really like this movie really makes them work for their victory. Right. And and they're like flying by the seat of their pants like they feel like they have the plan all set. And then then they realize uh, oh wait, this isn't gonna work. And then oh, they're, they're already on the they're already on their way. We're, we gotta find something to do. Oh no no, and and then that's what makes cinema exciting, you know. When things don't go according to plan, when the park breaks down, that kind of stuff. Yes, um, and I love that pretty much all the gadgets in this one stop working. <laughs> Like the the gloves, the big screen, yep. um, the masks. Which there's no actual mask moments in the movie. They just except for the villain. Get... The villain has a mask. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that was interesting because uh, when they're doing that 3D printing, it's taking like like feels like it's taking so long. Whereas in the last movie, they had that mask of Philip Seymour Hoffman printed out, what <laughs> felt like like 30 seconds. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Which I think might be a testament, um, it might be a testament to Brad Bird just in his sensibilities as a director compared with J.J. Abrams, um, is that J.J. Abrams is, is all about the efficiency, but that comes at the cost of logic sometimes. (laughs) Like he, he wants to move the movie so fast that, that he doesn't even stop to acknowledge plot holes. Um, which, you know, we don't always have to fill every plot hole, but I think Brad Bird definitely has more of an eye for for instilling that tension. Um, and 
and really being playful. I think that's a, the best word for this movie is it's very playful. It bothers me when it comes out that this movie was released in November because this movie would be like, I would say it's one of my favorite summer blockbusters, but it was released in November, so you can't say that. They wanted that Oscar. They wanted that Oscar crowd, <laughs> I guess. I, I think it was probably just a delayed release. Uh, so Tom Cruise does a pretty crazy... I mean, he does a couple of crazy stunts, but he uh, just casually climbs the tallest building in the world <laughs> in IMAX. Hey. <laughs> the tallest so that's in dubai, in dubai right? yes the burj khalifa yeah and it's, and it's the real the real building yes that was no that's... green screen tom cruise is actually out there even like when he does the thing where i mean obviously he had a harness in there but um like when he does the thing where he's running down the side like wrapped around the hose loop tom cruise actually had to like face first run down the side of the tallest building in the world which is I can't even imagine. And the you look at the behind-the-scenes footage, and Tom Cruise is just, like, he's just hanging out there. He's not scared at all. There's one interview with him where he's, like, he's up there, and he's just saying, you know, you just feel really privileged because, you know, not a lot of people <laughs> get to experience, you know, no one really has been exactly where I am right now. And it's just, like, like he's just not scared of heights at all. <laughs> it's like they say tightrope walking is you're doing, it's the exact same technical skill if it's, four feet off the ground versus if it's uh 3000 feet off the ground which is how high tom cruise was um yep. but when you're th most normal humans can't function normally when they're 3000 feet in the air um but right, tom yeah. cruise is not a normal human so <laughs> he's got scientology backing him up yes also, most normal <laughs> humans would die if they fell from that high. We can't say for sure that Tom Cruise would. That's true. We don't know the wonders of Scientology, <laughs> so what are we to say? Um, yeah, I remember going to New York City and, and going up uh, the uh, to, to the top floor of the Empire State Building, and even with all those all those protective walls mm -hmm. around, you still you still like I was afraid my glasses were going to fly off my face. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was pretty windy, though, so, um, yeah, it's, and, uh, yeah, and it's, it's great that things still are breaking down, like, it's not, this isn't the opening, uh, this isn't the, uh, shot of him in the opening of Mission Possible 2, where he's just scaling a mountain, like, yeah. look at me, I'm Tom Cruise, I'm scaling this mountain. It has nothing to the plot, but I'm going to do it to look cool. Um, thing is, like, I think characters look cooler when they're in danger, and they just keep on pressing through. Like, you need, you need, you need a stake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even, um, like, Jeremy Renner and Paula Patton would have had to do that um, where... Uh, when they're catching him and they're pulling him back in and Jeremy yep. Renner is like yeah. half hanging out. Like I could not do that. And that's, that is actually Jeremy Renner grabbing Tom Cruise's ankle dangling from the tallest building in the world, mm. which, yeah, we can't do the, we, this, this whole thing could just be us talking about that sequence, which also isn't, I could never do that, <laughs> but yeah. it's not just if, that sequence by itself, again, if it had no point, it would just be like, wow, Tom Cruise did that, but it doesn't really add to the movie, so I don't care. Mm. Um, but it's also, like, 
a very very well executed uh sequence like it's it's visually stunning um but no they <laughs> show you how tall it is mission impossible ro- sorry mission impossible ghost protocol is breathtaking <laughs> But it's and they throw in a quote of some character going, "You're gonna love it." But the key to um, it's more important when you say visuals are impressive. Is more important is okay, but what do they tell you? And they show you just how high up he is. Is um, what they do here, <laughs> and it shows off because Mission Impossible. They also are always kind of love letters to wherever they're filming in. So they you see the like how beautiful Dubai is and how beautiful this building is. So it is showing off the architecture. Um and it's also showing off Tom Cruise's forearms. Exactly. It's all just a bunch of showing off. Uh but with a plot. <laughs> and, and and the, the yeah. I was watching a special feature on that and those that had to be shot like they had to take out some windows so they could slide out cameras out. Um mm-hmm. but they also had like helicopters with IMAX cameras on it and the IMAX camera can only have so much film in it so they had to keep like sending the helicopter back to load mm-hmm. to like reload film oh, at like goodness. the helicopter station and send it back and Tom Cruise is just hanging out there oh my goodness yeah just get the scene filmed just do just do your safety takes and then yeah and and um yeah Brad Bird was uh talking about that how how the IMAX camera it's like you have to get a running start at it before um you can really get it going so um yeah, yeah. um okay um let's talk about the villain in this one cuz if i would to make probably my biggest criticism with this movie but also i don't think it really matters is that the villain in here is pretty generic um they never make it clear what his ambition yeah. is. Like, obviously, it's to blow up the Western Hemisphere. Either they don't really say why, other than that he's crazy. Um, well, it, he has that whole speech where he talks about what is it like? It was kind of like a Thanos thing, where it's like starting over, that kind of stuff. And and I think, yeah, without the like emotional backstory with that it really does just read as just um tyrannical terrorist and yeah i i think i i would agree with that if if it wasn't for just how Mm -hmm. well executed the whole movie is because it doesn't um, doesn't get bored there was a lot that they had for that villain that they ended up cutting um and, and it's not really about him that's he's not i don't think he's supposed to like leave an impression on you the way like philip seymour hoffman did as a villain in that movie um this movie is more about the team and the mission than it is about the villain which is fine their plot is interesting enough they put they get uh mi6 is that what it is you're thinking imf but mi6 is like the british intelligence so james bond is mi6 (laughs) and mi6 is real it's like the british fbi sorry i need to get wrapped up in in the fantasy of these movies (laughs) um so imf (laughs) um so they get imf to go into ghost protocol um which i think has that been done before where where they have to go into hiding? Um in the first one he goes rogue, but in this one it's like yeah. the entire IMF is shut down. So they can't The entire Yeah. 
they can't call headquarters and get them to like help them hack in. They have no support. It's just what they can scrounge out of this van. Um, right. Which, which is, I guess, a bit of a twist on what they did in the third one, where where it feels like everybody is against Ethan Hunt, where where it feels like IMF has been uh, corrupted. Yes. Even though it hasn't, but I think like. It's always a good like um like one of the smartest things uh they did in Thor Ragnarok was destroy Thor's hammer. That kind of thing. Where where you realize, okay, we're a little too powerful. We need to take things down a Simon Peg. I mean sorry, take things <laughs> down a peg. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about Brad let's talk about Brad Bird. Um He had done he had directed Ratatouille before he got this job, but um he started talking to Tom Cruise after The Incredibles, and you can kind of see um, a little bit of Incredibles in this, even though Incredibles is animated. Um, like I think even in like the DVD case for The Incredibles, um, when I like the first DVD release that I got, it said on the back, it's like it's and it had like different movies and it's like, it's this movie, this movie and this movie all rolled into one. And one of them was mission impossible. And that was before there was any talk of ghost protocol that would be directed by Brad Bird. Interesting. Yeah. And like, and listening to that interview and he's talking about how he was, he took nods from the, the 1960s TV show, but he wasn't like, wasn't like a bean counter, like, oh, we got to include this, got to include this, like all the popular mm-hmm. stuff. Like, he purposely stuck with the stuff that he remembered as a kid. And I think, like, that's one of his charms as a director, is that it really feels like he does things because he wants to do them. Not it's, yes. not because not because a studio is breathing down his neck, unless it's Incredibles too, But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, there's there's stuff. I I so I I've definitely ranted about that movie before, but it's just like even in even in stuff like that, it feels like it, someone had a had an idea or something. And I think like that's just a case where it feels a little more unwieldy in that. I think it's very cohesive and well coordinated and Incredibles and Ratatouille and this. Okay, so here's. Here's what I'd say about Incredibles 2. So, first of all, the original Incredibles is the best written, like, most thematically complex and, like, richest movie that Pixar has ever uh, put out there. It's fantastic. You know, I'll, you know screw it. It's incredible. Um, and Incredibles 2, on the other hand, is nothing more or less than a fun action comedy. Uh, so, no, it does not in any way compare to the first Incredibles, and that's fine. If you are anti-Incredibles 2, which is a perfectly fine, fun action comedy, that means you are anti-fun. Ouch. And, yeah. Moving on from that scathing. Well, here's my question for you. What do you think of Tomorrowland? Um, I liked Tomorrowland a bit. It could have been so much better than it was. Um. It's and I they they say it's not um Brad Bird as much as like they forced him to collaborate with some other screenwriter. Was it Damon Lindelof? Might be. That? Let me let me let me look this up. Yeah, and I think that was an, it wasn't him making the wrong decisions as much as he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted with that movie. Um 
And it's just like I like it as a whole. It just could have been a lot better and it can be kind of bland at times. I liked bits and pieces of it. Um I, it was very ambitious. Um but it was one of those like have your cake and eat it too things where I couldn't really decide what tone it was going for so it does exactly just feel like it feels like a bit of a mess um and yes and damon lindelof he uh he was the producer screen did screenplay and the story so yeah i i think uh yeah i can't pin that all on brad yeah um and then i think with that it's disney has ever since pirates of the caribbean has been trying to get another big movie based on their ride uh next one is going to be jungle book although that one looks like jungle cruise jungle, jungle cruise, cruise yes jungle cruise um which i'm actually excited for because it looks just fun and stupid um <laughs> and yeah yep as long as long as it just keeps that energy it's not like trying to set up a it's not as long as it doesn't artemis foul it up you know <laughs> which is and that's what the jungle cruise ride at disney world is too is disney world has all of these big crazy exciting rides that are like you know you go down like splash mountain has like that giant drop uh space mountains a roller coaster whereas the jungle cruise you go you sit on a boat you look at animatronic animals and a skipper tells jokes like it's just like a breath of fresh air in the middle of all these crazy wow rides it's a jungle cruise so it's just kind of relaxing and refreshing and like oh this is nice and different um so i hope the movie just has that kind of yeah we know this is stupid but it's fun um there's a really funny video of uh it was the last we're on a tangent here that's okay it was the last uh ride ever for the jaws uh ride at uh, universal studios and they really uh, knocked it out of the park with the uh, with the tour guide or the or the skipper, uh, who is just so on top of his game. He is just getting all the beats with all all the um, all the jokes, and it's just and and it's it's equal parts exciting and hilarious. <laughs> like it's very cheeky too. So I'll I'll. Try and find it and to you. <laughs> See, going back to Brad Bird, he makes the movies that he wants to make, usually. And you see that a lot in Iron Giant. Um, it's probably the best example of that, where, um, which I think was his first feature film. Um, yes. Where it's full of, like, nostalgia for uh, what I'm... The 1950s. Is, yeah. yeah. Which, and it looks like a Spielberg movie, too, even though it's not... <laughs> It has that it has that charm, and then it was eventually used in a Spielberg movie. Yeah, Brad Bird has. I I remember reading in that uh, Creativity Inc. book that people would have to uh, tell him to prioritize what he wanted in the film. Right. So so like he wanted to do all these great big things, uh, all these really specific things, and then just for the sake of budget, they'd say okay. I, you're going so you have all these popsicle sticks and you get you write down the things you want to do on popsicle sticks and you can only choose you have to pick which one to take out <laughs> um so if with that brad bird he's no he's no hack he's no um he's no guy you just push around um 
Yeah, very, very ambitious. Yeah, especially because this is his first live action movie. Like you'd think, oh yeah, you'd think you do like a smaller film first. Um, and he mm-hmm. even says in that interview, he used the analogy: it's like you've never played football before, and now you're in the Super Bowl. Like right, yeah, because because movies like because live action and animation are obviously very different animals, right? Um, and there's I, I remember that that documentary um, Waking Sleeping Beauty. Uh, they talk about how Jeffrey Katzenberg, when he came into Disney, and and it came to the discussion of editing an animated film. Oh yeah, he's like, just edit it out. You you can't edit an animated film. Like, yes, you um, can. I'll show you how to yes, edit, 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 edit an animated movie. Um, right. But it's, and, it's he's always in his earlier animated movies, like, paid a lot of attention to, like, Pixar does this, too, in all the Pixar movies, where they have, like, some of the same language, like, lenses. Um, and, like, shot comes, it's just, like, you still have to think of, like, where the camera goes. Um, so like he obviously knew a lot about film, not just from animation, but from being like a film nerd. Um, so he knew a lot about like the language of filmmaking, but that doesn't necessarily executing that on a mission impossible movie when it's your first live action movie is really impressive just to take that head knowledge. And then, but also like the management skills too. Cause that's something I think people don't think about when you're directing a movie is that you're like managing a team with like, 600 people working on this movie right and and with these death-defying stunts yes you know there's a, there's a lot more at stake animation is very very safe in comparison to yes. all this uh speaking of nerdiness and animation did you catch the a113 yes it's on the ring it's on the ring yeah. that's right yeah i would i would be uh, sorely disappointed if you said this was your favorite movie and you missed that. <laughs> it's it's very obvious though it's not it it's is not a, yeah it's not a, a deep cut. <laughs> um, yeah, and animation, like, you have so much control of the frame, right? It's it's all there, and and they can go in at any any point in the pipeline and just like, okay, fix this up. Like, you know what they did with a Bug's Life when they um, when they released it for uh, for VHS? Oh, did they like crop it differently? No, they they well, it wasn't cropping. It wasn't a pan and scan. So they opted to um, do what they did was they went through the entire movie and rearranged the frame entirely. So like everything that was in widescreen was reformatted so that you could still get all the important information in a full like square TV screen. Yeah. And it's not pan and scan. Um, They don't crop out i mean sure there's things that are pushed out uh, uh, like extraneous stuff but it's not in the same way of pan scan because they had to like rearrange all the elements in the frame and i don't think any movie has done that since i always feel weird about that though i mean the whole full screen widescreen thing should never have happened like the fact that people would rather have a full TV screen rather than like see the entire image that they're watching the movie for. Well, the fact that people would rather like have part of the movie cropped out around the edges instead of just having a little black bar at the top and bottom and be able to see the full movie. Um, right. Like, yeah. Like, cause that's the thing is that first you're like, yeah, I want it to fill the whole screen. Why would I want these black bars on there? But like, 
if you just like look next time you're watching a movie just look at what's in the corners of the screen and there's always going to be like like as a photographer if someone was like yeah we're going to publish a book of your photography but we're going to take all of your pictures and crop them into a square i'd be like Mm -hmm. um i'm not like no let's not do that (laughs) Um, from an artistic from an artistic point of view it's a it's a big slap in the face yeah and and in the case of we're really going off topic but that's okay um i like this kind of discussion mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've heard about what oh you know what this does connect to brad bird because the simpsons there you go because he used to write in the simpsons um so you know on disney plus the whole thing with the simpsons like everyone's oh every, yeah one got upset about yeah so like that that sort of mentality where it's like they're not going to want to watch this thing because it has the bars on the side. Well, that's because it, it was made. <laughs> so TVs now are a wider format and the Simpsons as it was intended was yeah. <laughs> released on a square TV Which format four by three comes down to whoever it was when they were first building TVs that decided to make them that more square format. Like why, why would you think that was the aspect ratio? Because it's small, compact, and and a square is a like I guess symmetry. <laughs> right, and I and at the time, like no one saw. It was a novelty. It was a novelty. It yeah. was a novelty, and no one thought we'd ever be watching movies anywhere other than a movie theater. Right, and it's funny now with theaters opening back up. Like I remember, I was reading a comment on Cineplex where they were advertising that in some of the theaters that they've been able to open, which is nowhere in Ontario yet, even though they can, they're just not because mm-hmm. um, of the like restrictions. They can't just make enough money with limiting to fifty people. Um, there i saw a comment someone was like i think it's absurd like they they you could see jurassic park in theaters for five dollars and they someone said i think it's absurd that you think i would anyone would ever pay five dollars to see a movie that's been released for 20 years (laughs) and i remember thinking no this is the thing now is that people don't understand that there's something about the theatrical experience that um like i would pay $30 to see Jurassic Park on a big screen, potentially, if I had to. Mm. Um, Like, I'd pay, like, the price of, like, going to a show, maybe, if I I was feeling like I would splurge. Um, Right. And I I think, but the the thing with, uh, you gotta remember, is, like, for, I think, I think the cynicism that they're, they're talking about isn't just for, like, those re-releases and stuff, which are great. Mm -hmm. It's, it's fun. I mean, it's better when you can actually see it like on a on like an IMAX screen, not LIMAX. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but but when it comes to like going to a new release, I think people get cynical because like, what if the movie sucks? That kind of thing. Um, and I don't know. I I don't know how how movies if what the recovery is going to be for for movies coming out of covid it's it's um, yeah it's tough to say because there was that whole thing yeah. with universal and amc where because universal yeah. released uh trolls t- world tour on right. uh via troll 2 <laughs> not trolls 2 whichever trolls it was um and it made like an insane amount of money. Like I think it doubled what the first one made, which, and the first one made a lot of money as well. Like it made an insane, and I, and it's not surprising, you know, people have nothing else. to. You mean on, you mean on VOD? On VOD, it made like an astronomical, 
like maybe not more than like Endgame, but like compared to the previous movies, like, um, so then that's, I remember thinking like, this is really going to change if studios realize, oh, hey, we can make a lot of money by releasing these things at home. And then, so then Universal announced, said kind of, we might start um, releasing our movies in both places. So you can choose to see it in theaters or at home. Um, and then AMC was like, okay, we're never going to show any more Universal movies because that is kind of, that's going to hurt movie theaters if people don't have to go there to see the next big, you know, Jurassic World, is if people can just watch that at home. Some people will. Um, I think I'm always going to be a, you should go see it in the theater if you want the best experience. But I also understand that not everyone can afford that. Um, right. And not everyone's willing to... At like especially with COVID, like willing to risk that. Yes, so. I, I I will say this though is if you're watching a movie at home, especially if it's something you haven't seen before that you want to enjoy, um, like dim the lights, get rid of turn distractions. Yeah, turn off your yeah. phone. Like act like you're in a movie theater. Although people don't turn off their phones in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do what you can to actually like give yourself an immersive cinematic experience. It doesn't mean you need to have like a, Mm -hmm. you see those like mansion tours on YouTube where they have like a whole movie theater in their house. Like, no, you don't need that, (laughs) but um, like turn off the lights, whatever the biggest screen you have is, if it's a small TV or a laptop, whatever your biggest screen is, watch it on your biggest screen. And you know what? Um, When I, so this came up a lot when I was teaching ESL was the difference between the words watch and see. So when I say like, I'm, when I say I'm going to watch a movie or I'm going to say, I'll see a movie now. See, I think, uh, works more as like, like for the first time, like, Oh, I've seen that. Um, uh, but if I say, Oh, I've watched that, it sounds kind of, kind of wonky. Um, if it's not TV and I think the re like i feel like watch is more associated with saying like i'm gonna watch a tv show um or i'm gonna and then c is for see a movie and i think it's because this is just my own interpretation of it that when you go to a theater the the screen that's all you see yeah it goes from the top of the the ceiling to the bottom of the floor um and but when you watch a something it's usually at home because your eyes have to be focused on that part of the room yes whereas in whereas you don't have to worry about that in a theater so i think that's what people are trying to figure out like not well like like the consumers you know they're not going to waste too much time thinking about it but the but the advertisers and the streaming services just like what do we do to keep people interested um and I think it makes sense for some movies to come out on VOD. Like it was like I saw this tweet from uh, Jay Bauman from Redler Media talking about how how um, Bill and Ted three um, is going to be coming out in theaters and in VOD. Um, but Chris Nolan is still hesitant about putting Tenant or uh, is it Tenet? Yeah, is Tenet. It? I think he, Chris Nolan is still. Uh, I shouldn't say Chris Nolan. That sounds way too <laughs> like I'm his flatmate. Christopher Nolan uh, uh, is hesitant about putting Tenet on T on VOD, 
And that makes sense given the context of the movie and just like the movies that Christopher Nolan makes. Like they are exactly visually stunning, like immersive experiences. And- Bill and Ted is is just feel good fluff, and that's all it needs to be. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it actually looks like it'll be a fun time. Right, and he's delayed the release of um, right. Tenet. Like again, because did you see the Patrick Willems Christopher Nolan about how IMAX made him a better filmmaker? I haven't watched that. yet. It's really but, good. Yeah. Um, but he talks about how, like, he throughout the whole movie, he's like, "Come on, Chris, delay Tenet. I'm excited to see it, but." <laughs> you know how many people want to see this movie and they're all going to come to the theater and COVID's going to spike. And then he actually, not not that it's 100% because of Patrick Willem's video, but he did delay it uh, even more. <laughs> only only 95% because of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, it'll be exciting to go back to a theater, but I think movie theaters are going to, and, and studios as if they weren't already selective enough about what they release, like Disney, they put they put all their chips into one basket with a lot of their yeah. their big releases, and I, it's so far it's worked, but you know it's I think it's going to be even that much more of of uh, being p- choosing your cards carefully, and that's probably going to you know what it's going to do. It's going to it'll probably just be. M- a lot more of what we've already have where it's the the smaller more interesting stuff comes out on video on demand or netflix and stuff like that um and yeah and the studios unless they unless we have that like next big thing you know that big watershed it's like oh this is how we should do movies now you know how like Star Wars is like before that it was a whole bunch of think pieces and everything, but now it's like, yeah. ooh, we can make toys off of this too. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Yeah, it's gonna yeah. Um it's definitely interesting to see how this is gonna play out. I think I do see that becoming the norm where especially if we don't know how long social distancing is gonna like we might even if a vaccine comes out, we might just keep social distancing habits because we realize that's just healthier (laughs) um and theaters might just have to like keep people spread out and they won't be able to get as many people in a theater at once um and that then seems to make sense then that uh movies would release in both uh that you can rent Mm -hmm. it at home or you can watch it in a theater um which Mm -hmm. would be i think i i think that's where we're headed is where movies are gonna yeah. start releasing in both places which means theaters are going to be making a lot less money as which if, means yeah. theaters are going to start closing eventually oh um, they already are there's yeah. already closing down it this isn't like theaters closing down isn't really that breaking news um it's and especially with like in the inflated concession prices like they're not making enough money from what their main purpose is yeah. They got to inflate everything else. Well, because um, Cineplex has been pushing the, you know, you can order from concession on yeah. like Uber oh, Eats. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. $7 for popcorn you can get at Jumbo Video for like $3 for like twice the portions. I mean, Cineplex's popcorn is delicious. It is but... delicious, but you know what? I don't have to, I don't want to pay $7 for delicious. <laughs> I, can... <laughs> I think. 
you know what it's gonna you know what it's like it's like when um so i i used i this is very it might seem very unrelated but i tried being a lawn aeration salesman um it's like there are people that go around poking holes in your lawn to make the grass grow greener and they plot me in this uh, little uh section in uh chatham and I knocked on the door. I was like, hey, you want, want me to poke holes in your lawn? <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, oh, sorry, we have a neighbor that has that for us. Oh, okay. <laughs> so somebody is has got to make a breakthrough with popcorn. <laughs> yeah. And just, like, sell this, like, really cheap, um, even if it's imitate like, the, the butter, at, like, that butter th- um, dispenser they have. It's imitation butter, but it's fine. <laughs> it gets the job done. It's like... I don't go to the movies for for a gourmet experience thing. Right. Yeah. Um but that's that's that is how movie theaters stay in business is concession usually, which is that which is system. sad. Which is yeah, sad. Then. I almost wonder if a uh, theaters should tap on the price a little bit more of the ticket. But then people are going to be like, "Oh, I can see it at this theater for cheaper." Mm-hmm. Um, which undercutting is like a pretty shady business practice. It's when you offer a product that's like the same in terms of quality, but you charge less than your competitor. Um, uh. cause then everyone's going to go with you. And then you just like, that's, that's considered like a shady. Isn't that uh, kind of like, like, or maybe it's not. So price matching, price matching is, it's not if you find something yeah if you find yeah a lot of stores will be like if you find this product for a lower price um we'll match that price for you Mm -hmm. um like so i'm kind of like should theaters like up the ticket price a bit if like if i was running a theater i'd be thinking maybe lower concession stands but actually like up the ticket price a bit but then what people are going to do is they're just going to compare the prices between my theater and the theater down the road and they're gonna be like right. oh the ticket's cheaper here and i'll be like yeah but popcorn is 90 dollars for a small cup of popcorn there mm. um people are definitely going to get more selective i think with mm-hmm. with going to movies and um i was talking with a family friend about about this and like with the, with movie theaters like so he's been to the El, the uh, El Capitan uh at uh in Hollywood that's Disney's like own private theater yeah like they use that for all their premieres that they make a huge event out of it and stuff like that now what i found was interesting about that and thinking about like the theater we have in London the Highland it's very small only one one screen pretty shabby looking setup but there's just this nice intimacy to it yeah Um, and i think the way that the the, this family friend described the el capitan is that this big theater i feel like once you have everybody in on the same movie you know everybody walks in the door for the same experience then there there's an even bigger feeling of community with this yes um it's it's kind of like when you go to a packed theater for like a Star Wars movie or like when I went to see it, um, uh, the first like chapter one, um, it was packed with people and it, it was just electric. All these people in for this, ex- for this, uh, like roller coaster of an experience. And I think that's what, like, as far as just the theater itself, Having just one screen, I think, really, even if, even if it doesn't bring in big bucks, I think that's what 
will bring in retention is like people coming because they enjoy the experience. I almost wonder if it's going to like movie theaters that survive are going to be ones that kind of make themselves kind of a niche where these are for people who want that Mm -hmm. communal cinematic experience rather than this is these are the new big blockbusters that everyone's going to come see so like Mm -hmm. we're trying to get the general population in here i think they're going to become more targeted to uh people who want Mm -hmm. that experience and i'm going to tie this to the restaurant industry a little bit here this is basically our pitch to hollywood for how to run your your dead business and to like cineplex and movie theater that's yeah 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 Yeah. um uh so uh i don't know if you've seen that uh biopic about ray Kroc. uh the one with michael keaton i can't remember the name oh oh, yeah 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 uh founder found the founder yeah so he comes in and and tells and so the the brothers that are running McDonald's as it originally was they have they have all these different items right and then he Ray Kroc comes in and says oh you're just going to focus on hamburgers and for that i think that um would be a good way for for theaters like to consider like okay who are the people that are actually coming to these movies you know right um and then another example would be something like like Cora's, which is a breakfast and lunch place, they close down before supper because they've already made all their money they need to make yeah. um, at breakfast and lunch. So it's almost like, you know, you're you have to find your your niche, um, and maybe maybe that's what theaters like with all the sequels and maybe it's just that the niche is terrible. <laughs> Well, it's, it's not a niche right now. It's the Avengers movie or the Star Wars movie that everyone wants to see. And that, that's what I mean, like sequels and remakes and superhero movies, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and, which are designed not to be a niche as much as they are to bring in the masses. Um, right, right. And I think it's going more, going to be more. So maybe indie film and theaters are going to start making a comeback. Um, Maybe we'll 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 get the uh, Criterion collection of movies coming out in theaters and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It I that would be that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Hollywood. Um, listen to us, <laughs> the uh, official authorities on the matter. Two guys with a podcast that isn't. Heart is hardly even real. <laughs> yeah, um, we do have a real producer though. That that is that is true. His name is Greg. He's a real human being. Is that um, what his name is? I actually forgot what we named him. I forgot what we named this real person. Yes, he he walked up to us and said, "Can you give me a name, please? I um, I need a new name. I'm fleeing the country." Yes, um, he's just sitting in the booth over there. Yeah, and he's he's telling us to wrap it up quick <laughs> all right um before we do that though we got to talk about tom cruise's hair in ghost Protocol. oh good lord this again all right all right let's get over with <laughs> okay um i would say this is probably my favorite hair of his i think it's not quite as long as two or maybe it's a little bit longer it's 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 either one of those two it's either not as long or longer um which are kind of the only two options in general um but i think in this one it's yeah it's 
long, it's flowy, it's suits him pretty well, I think. Uh, so, right. so I'd give his hair in this movie an A+. It's the best his hair gets. Wonderful. I give Tom Cruise's hair a Maybelline New York out of 10. Okay. Which is basically a, which is basically an A. Okay. Um, perfect. And then the countries and continents in this movie. Uh, so they go to India. Uh, they go to uh, Russia in Red Square. Um, a lot of that was filmed in Prague um, in Europe. Um they did a lot of the, like, after they had shot all the big stuff, they kind of went to Vancouver to kind of piece everything together, figure out how this movie was going to work. So a lot of it was shot in Vancouver in Canada. Um, stuff was shot in USA. So that gives us three countries, or sorry, six countries, three continents. So they've got uh, Asia, Europe, and North America. Um, so that compares to... Um, so that ties three for three continents... But so number three had three countries, three continents. Uh, four has six countries and three continents. So it's an improvement. It is. It's bigger and better. Like as just to wrap up, um, I agree with you on pretty much everything you told me I would enjoy about this about this one. Um, and yeah, it's an encouraging step forward. In the franchise but it's also like i think it stands well like that's and that was something brad burr was talking about where each one kind of stands on its yes. own stylistically and and i like that even even at its worst john woo still <laughs> packs enough of his style in where it's like you know it's a john woo film um exactly and with this with this there's the style but it's also a good movie so it's a win-win for sure. And then so with five and six are both very different in terms of their tone, but they are both directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Um, it's the first time a director has returned and pretty much every movie Tom Cruise does now he does with Christopher McQuarrie, including seven and eight that are in the works, um, including the mummy. Ooh. <laughs> right. So it we got to get we got to watch that one sometime. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Maybe. <laughs> Um, that's very bottom of the bin schlock fest there. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. I just, yeah. So it's gone from being, you know, different filmmakers coming in to now it's about Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie partnership. Um, but so far five and six have both been very good. Um, and both very different in terms of their tone and style. So I hope that continues in seven and eight, even though, it's going to be the sa- these four movies are going to have the same director. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, so I told you when I, um, when I watched through the entire Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street series. <laughs> so I know it's stupid. It was stupid. <laughs> but six, I-, I keep bringing this up. Six is really good. And it's, it's such a tonal departure. Like it's a, it's a, it's, it's pretty much a comedy film. <laughs> Like intentionally, and and the director like executes that pretty well, and so I'm always a fan of of tonal shifts, even if it's like it's an experiment. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that wraps this up. This ended up not being about Ghost Protocol as much as about the film industry in general. Yeah, which is fine. I hope you enjoyed where, listening. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there is a lot to talk about given the current state of cinema? Question mark. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and everybody, uh, even as we enter phase three, please remember to wash your hands and watch your movies. <laughs> Thank you.